Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I'm your host, and we are here to help you win at the game of business and marketing. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. We have our entrepreneurs. We have our small business owners. We have our local business owners. We have marketing and business coaches. We have the folks who help others build their businesses, our designers, our strategists, assistants, and managers. We have the do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers as you market and grow your business. If you are one or more of the above, please take a moment, explore our episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Also check us out on iTunes. Just do a search for Business Creators Radio Show. Over 100 episodes have been posted. It continues to grow every single week. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us help more business creators just like you. Today, we have a topic that when this, I first ran across this, I loved it immediately, and I had to reach out, and I had to get this guy onto the Business Creators Radio Show immediately. Now, our regular listeners know that the second question I always ask our guests is how time and money play a factor on whatever it is they're going to share today. And this is going to be the very first episode out of the over 115 episodes we've already hosted since we launched Business Creators Radio Show, where we're not going to have an opportunity to ask that question. The reason why is because what he's going to share with us is, to me, a fantastic answer to that question in and of itself. And when you hear the topic, you're going to see why. So today's interview is called Time Really Is Money. There's the answer to your time and money question for today. How to work for $5,000 an hour. Heck, I know there's people out there who uh, are making $5,000 a month in their business working 40, 60, 80 hours a week. You know the old saw about how entrepreneurs will work 80 hours a week to avoid taking a 40-hour-a-week job. So uh, imagine if you could do that in one hour and then blow off the rest of the month if $5,000 is good enough for you. Or work an hour a day and make $5,000 a day. Don't these things sound just so beautiful and you can already feel sort of a sense of relief coming over you, starting to believe that this could be possible? Well, today we have Rob Slee to show us how this is done. And Rob is an author, investment banker, mentor, and business owner. Rob has authored more than 300 articles on private finance topics in a variety of legal and business journals. Rob has also written five books. Private Capital Markets, one of the books, is considered the seminal work in finance for private companies. And his current book is, you guessed it, Time Really Is Money, How to Work for $5,000 an Hour. Rob has owned equity businesses in more than three dozen mid-sized private businesses, or rather his own equity positions in more than three dozen mid-sized private businesses. I'm so excited about this. I can't wait to get to the end and get into this. And he has mentored more than 100 companies. He recently completed his first unicorn. He's a Phi Beta Kappa graduate of Miami University and received a master's degree from the University of Chicago and an MBA from Case Western Reserve University. But all this stuff aside, Rob Slee is best known as the father of Jen and Jesse Slee, his identical twin daughters. So, Jen and Jesse's dad, welcome aboard. Well, thank you, Adam. It's great to be here. I love the introduction. Now I'm all excited about the topic. 
you know, I, I was actually a little bit worried about. It. I, you know, I started to get a little nervous reading this introduction. I'm thinking, do I really belong on the same podcast as this guy? Because even though it's my radio show, I'm not really quite sure I can hold up to this. Now, our listeners, hey, my, hey I'll tell you, Adam, my hourly rate is over fifty thousand dollars an hour, so it tells you how much I value this. Well, I better, I, better, I, better, I better get to work here. So, um, yeah. Now, our listeners know that not only am I the host, but I'm also a student whenever we have a guest on here. So what I like to do here is I like to remind everybody, have your pen and paper out. Make sure you subscribe to iTunes if you're listening live so you can go back and listen to this again. I will be here. I'll be asking the questions. I'll be taking notes because I want the slight edge in my business as well as the slight edge for your business. Now, what I'd like to do here first, before we get into what Rob has to share with us today, is Rob, uh, you know, we, we read your very impressive biography and where you come from, but what I'd like to get into a little bit is just what passionately drove you in this direction and what brought you to where you are today? Uh, failure. You know, it's, I think every person that's had any level of success has come to it through failure, and so I had owned a whole bunch of businesses early on in life. I'm I'm sort of midlife now, depending on how you look at the age, but uh, and, and I just couldn't really get any of them to create the value that I was I was hoping for. I think we all go into business with a certain dream or vision that how things are going to end up, and and I worked through all those, and what I learned is that's the rite of passage in capitalism is you just have to whale away and then figure out what how much value you can actually bring to a situation, and then and then ultimately learn to package that into a successful company. And I went through probably five or ten years of uh, difficult times figuring all that out. Right. And I think a lot of people go through that as well. I mean, I've certainly had some changes in my business this year. We've gone undergone some phenomenal growth and we've had two growth spurts uh, the first one took me completely unawares and i basically missed the opportunity and the second one we're in the middle of right now and having learned those lessons i've been doubling down knuckling down i've been optimizing my brain energy and my mental energy and my physical energy and we're really getting a lot of stuff done uh, i'm getting to the point i'm not quite making five thousand dollars an hour yet but maybe what you're going to share with us in the next 50 some minutes will enable me to just uh, accelerate this and get us there now listeners of business creators radio show know that i normally ask the question right now of how do time and money impact what our guest is going to share with us today because we get different answers to the question we get different ways the question is interpreted but when you have a topic called time really is money how to work for five thousand dollars per hour rather than just ask him uh ask rob you know, what his thoughts on it. I'm just going to let him take basically the whole hour and explain it because I think we're going to get into something that's going to be very revelational here. And he's given us a bunch of things he wants to go through with him. We'll see how far we get, and we may go a couple other interesting directions as well. Rob, let me start with a question that seems like maybe a little bit off to the side, but I know you're going to bring us back to the center. Why would anybody write 300-plus articles? You know, I, I went through the traditional business education of getting an MBA, and I thought that applied to Main Street companies, owning and managing Main Street companies, everything I'd learned in MBA school. I went to University of Chicago, got a degree in economics. I thought that must apply. None of that stuff applies to being successful, owning your own time or your own business. And that's why I failed. The reason I failed is I was set up to fail by the, by the traditional path. It turns out that when you go get any business degree, whether it's undergraduate or MBA or any sort of business degree, 
you're really being trained or educated to work in on the corporate ladder in large public corporations. They never tell you that. Somehow that little conversation gets left out. And so when you try to then go apply those, those skills to private businesses, most people fall flat in their face if they've had a 10-year run in the uh, large public company. It just turns out there's two totally different ladders to climb, two totally different bodies of knowledge. And since I didn't know that, this is going back 25 years, I started writing a lot to, to, to educate myself because I'm one of these believers that you don't really ever learn anything until you have to teach somebody else that thing. And right. so I, I was the guy who was writing for the business journals. I think there's 45 or 50 of them. I started out writing uh, every other week for a local, the Charlotte Business Journal, where, where I was living at the time. And then um, many or all the business journals picked me up for almost 15 years. So that was wow. a lot of writing. That's how you get to 300 and some articles. Then I started doing a lot of academic writing. Along the way, wrote a couple textbooks. All of it was an attempt to learn myself. That's what it was all about. And, and, and the same is true with this latest book. Is time really is money is the, the result of a five-year process of mentoring companies. I said, how can you create substantial market value in any company, any industry, with any type of owner at any time? And it took a few years to figure it out, but we did, and that's what the book is about. Let me make sure I heard something correctly here, because I think I might have uh, discerned one of the most brilliant things I've ever heard. Did I hear you say that one of the reasons you wrote over 300 articles is because that was the process of you trying to educate yourself on how things work, so it made you go out, do the research, put together thoughtful articles, so that you were creating your own curriculum as you go. Is that who I heard? Yes, and it even helped more than that. It helped generate business, because how I would right. do it is, you know, no, no one's born knowing this stuff. You know, we all learn through life and, you know, sort of self-educate and then, and then try to educate others. What happened was I'd hear a topic, and it could be, yeah, I'm, I've been an investment banker for 30 years, so I use an investment banking topic. I would hear somebody say the words, uh, run an auction. And I, I had no idea, you know, 20 years ago what that meant. So I'd go out and research it the best I could, and then I'd write up a, sort of a, an article that was okay but not great. And I would send it to 10 lawyers who were in that field. It's, I really need some help. This is something I think you know a lot about, a lot more than I'll ever know. Can you help me? And what would happen is those 10 lawyers would not only engage the conversation, that would create a personal relationship with them. And some of those early draft reviewers from 25 years ago are my best friends today. So they generated business as well as it helped me self-educate. That is very interesting. And what I like about it is how you wrote some articles for, say, the legal field or that would uh, have to do with lawyers, and you sent it to 10, artic 10 lawyers asking for their help. Now, these are 10 lawyers whose radar screen you're now on because you look to them as the oracle of wisdom and ask their assistance. And generally speaking, people love to help. Oh, they do. I, I rarely run into If you go at them the right way, if you go at them egoless, so I'm without ego, I need some help. And I think you're this, just the expert in the field to help me. And if you, you know, it turns out if you buy somebody lunch, they'll do darn near anything for you. Right. So I would take each of these lawyers out to lunch and we go over the the article, and you know, at the end of that lunch, they said, yeah, this is a pretty decent guy to, to talk to. I think my clients would like to talk to you. <laughs> it turns out right. that it, I not only self-educated, that's where 90% of my business was coming from. Right, right. And you told me that uh, it was a very similar process that led you to create two textbooks. Yeah, then, then I started seeing broader bodies of knowledge and how to structure them. And so the first textbook came out, oh, 12 years ago, and it's a big one. It's seven pounds. It's one of those uh, textbooks that when you see in a class, it's for MBAs. 
right. it's taught all over the world, uh, used as a textbook. You see it at first and you just freeze because you say, oh, God. Well, it was that way writing it because I'm the sole author on that thing, and it took me four years to write it because it's wow. so large. But it was the same thing. I didn't know all that stuff. It, it forced me to uh, to learn in a sort of a broader uh, way. Wow. I, I, I couldn't imagine writing a textbook that big. You know, it's kind of funny. You you mentioned that you have an MBA. I have an MBA, too, and you made some comments about the MBA. You know, we were taught that it prepares us for certain things, and I can tell you to this day, I got my MBA from Duquesne University in Pittsburgh 13 years ago, and I'm still utilizing a good bit of what I learned in my MBA curriculum, not the way I thought I was going to. Right. Because I had a vision when I was in MBA school. My concentration was human resource management. My goal was to become a director of training and development or a VP of training and development for a mm-hmm. Fortune 500 company is my intermediate goal. And my fallback was I'd take the HR route if for some reason the training right. and development thing didn't fly. So that was my thought at the time. And I did take a course on entrepreneurship, and it was taught by a gentleman who uh, was a lending officer for a bank dealing with entrepreneurial ventures and small business loans. And the outcome of that course was you work in a group to create a business plan that would get approved by a bank. And uh, it taught you the old school way or the basic way of going and getting a loan, but it didn't really get too much into the entrepreneurial lifestyle other than one line in the seven pound textbook that said entrepreneurs tend to eat foods that increase their energy well no (laughs) 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 well there you go that's what i'm talking about there's a little bit of a disconnect when it comes down to the Right. Feet on the ground on right, feet. right, and there and there was really no conversation about angel investors or right. or seed right. investments or rounds of financing or leveraging uh, OPM, also known as other people's money. So I found that uh, you know while many of the tactics and such I learned in MBA school and the way that I learned to think about business problems and business opportunities uh, through the courses we took, where we did the Harvard Business Review cases and what have you, sure. uh, that have saved me in many ways because they've spared me making some of the mistakes I see a lot of other entrepreneurs make because they just don't know what they don't know. On the other hand, uh, there is another truth about MBA schools, which are they depend by and large for their existence on the sponsorship of large companies who funnel their own students into the MBA programs through tuition reimbursement programs. Now, if I'm a, a big company, let's say a Fortune 100 company, and I pick, uh, I pick uh, Duquesne University or Case Western Reserve University uh, to send my people through tuition reimbursement for their MBA program, I'm not looking to have them turn into entrepreneurs. I'm looking to have them turn into, entre- into employees that will continue to serve me. That's right. By that token, the MBA program does not necessarily prepare you for the realities of entrepreneurship. I mean, yeah, you can take the lessons that will make you a better entrepreneur, but it doesn't teach you entrepreneurship. Although there are some universities like Temple University in Philadelphia has been breaking a lot of ground in particular with programs specifically teaching people entrepreneurship. And I know some people that have come through that program that have launched some fantastic things in the past few years. Um, For space that we have on this interview, I won't list them, but I know a few people personally that went through that program Mm -hmm. doing some big things right now, especially in the media. So 
it is possible. I just want to take that little segue there. Uh, and I want to go into something else here. Uh, Rob, you've owned more than 30 private companies. I've only owned two. So you've owned more than 30. What's that all about? Yeah, it's been a hobby of mine. And it goes back 20 years. I would, uh, I would buy corporate cast-offs. So Johnson & Johnson has, uh, for, for instance, for example, would have a $25 million sales division doing $25 million in revenues a year. And they would want to sell it, but they can't really sell that. They, they would hire a Wall Street-type investment banker like a Goldman Sachs. and They're not equipped to sell businesses that small, even though we would consider that fair size. In that world, in the Goldman Sachs world, that's too small. And so they wouldn't be able to sell it. So Johnson & Johnson, at the end of the day, would get real nervous. They want to get it off their balance sheet. And then I would go in with the managers and buy them. So I've done that a couple dozen times. And so I grow them, you know, mentor the managers. That's where the mentoring started. Mentor the managers. We would, you know, try to triple, you know, the size of the business in three or four or five years, and we'd sell it. And right. so I've done that a lot. So that, that's what you mean by a cast-off, like a, a division of a company that's not really necessarily at their core, but they just right. want to get it out from under their own day-to-day -day management, basically. And, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities there. So basically what you've done is you've made at least part of your career in buying and selling these cast-offs, cast-offs rather. Yeah, and then growing them. You know, what, what really the big difference is we were able to buy those rather cheaply, uh, book value-based rather than like multiple earnings because the the parent just wanted them off the balance sheet so I could buy right. Yep. And then we'd build them, and then we would sell for some sort of multiple of earnings. So that kept me busy for a long time. I, we, I started doing something different, though, four or five years ago. I started actually doing startups because it got too expensive to buy companies anymore. And so, uh, and so I've done maybe, I don't know, six or eight fair site startups in the last few years, and that's a whole different thing than starting out with an existing $25 million business. You start out with zero revenues. Right. So that's been real interesting. I've had fun with this. Yeah, I can imagine. I've been involved with some startups myself. And uh, when you're starting with nothing, nothing is kind of what you have in many cases. <laughs> um, I've seen some startups go extremely well. I've seen some that evolved into something that was really good, that was really not the original intention, but just the way it involved it turned into something that was even better. And I've seen some that just kind of fizzled out for lack of funding or what right. have you. Uh, and one of the things that I've seen with not only with startups, but with many other types of businesses is um, folks, unfortunately, do make the mistake between productivity and doing things to be productive, if you understand that subtle difference. Right. And what I mean by right. that is holding lots of meetings. Um, my thoughts on meetings are is send me the minutes and tell me what you need. Right. If I have something to say, I'll, I'll come. But other than that, uh, that's just my point. Yeah, right. Um, now, what I'd like to get into now, and, I, and I, I'm really intrigued by this, is you say that a premise of time really is money, your book, Time Really Is Money, is that everyone chooses their level of wealth. What do we yeah. mean by that, Rob? Yeah, this, this was a, my aha moment a few years back. I started this nationwide mentoring program we call My Destination, and that's how I came to mentor 100 companies. And we were trying to figure out a system for value creation, which isn't an easy thing. I mean, there's a reason why no such system really exists, or at least existed at that point, because every business is so different, every owner is so different. What I found was what we all had in common was time. We only have so much time to work with in our lives, in our business lives, in our day, in our week. And, and further, what I discovered was the marketplace values every activity already. 
So we know this to be true because you have minimum wage activities. The market values that and whatever minimum wage is. And we have certain like bureaucratic administrative activities. The market may value that at 20 bucks an hour. And we have certain more managerial activities running a company and the market values that at, you know, 80 bucks an hour. And what I discovered was it's true all the way up. It's not, it doesn't end at $100 or like lawyers or, you know, some lawyers at $250 an hour. It doesn't end there. I have a partner right now in my unicorn, which is a, a pre-revenue business that gets an over a billion dollar valuation. And that was a startup, by the way. Uh, I have a partner right now. He's at $10 million an hour in value creation. And he, he's been there for 10 years and he gets it all day long, every hour, uh, all week long. And so it turns out that all the way up this value ladder, I call the market uh, values these activities. So we all choose how we're going to spend our time. Therefore, we choose our level of wealth. That. I'd like to develop that a little bit further because this is something that I really think that our listeners need to hear. Uh, when we choose our level of wealth, uh, what we often hear is we choose the activities that we engage in. And I don't know if we're going to be talking about leverage here or we're going to be talking about how we spend our days or what have you. But I think this is something that a lot of folks need because I'll tell you that you know I choose a $5,000 an hour lifestyle. I will make that choice right now. I will commit to that choice right now. I also know there's work I need to do to get there. I'd love and to this is what we learned. This is exactly now. what we learned. Yeah. Just creating the awareness that the market values activities at different levels changes behavior. And right. so we wouldn't start people at 5000 This was the mentoring program. The, the end result of the mentoring program was we would study how owners were spending their time before we started mentoring them. And we would have them journal, keep a journal of how they spent every hour per month. Invariably, it was all on less than $75 an hour activity. Uh, you know, the, the, the Johnny hates Tally stuff, the taking out the garbage, get on the forklift, all that metaphorical sort of stuff, which is all tactical, all the market rate or values at low hourly rate. And frankly, multiply $75 times 2,000 hours a year, and the most you're going to create is $150,000 in value. That's the most. So, you, you know, you can't create any business value doing that. You might be able to create an income, uh, but you can't create any business value. And this is why 80% of the private businesses in America are not increasing the value of their firms right now. 80% of the owners are not. And I can prove that mathematically because they're working on low hourly activities. Yeah. Why – why have you found when people go through their journaling exercises and they reach this level of self-awareness about what they're really doing with their day, that they find themselves doing these low-level low activities when there's so much stuff out there that says, man, just outsource? Yeah, people, most owners of their time are tradespeople. It turns out they're really good at certain sort of uh, trade-type activities, the doing, the tactical doing. What they're not good at is the strategic positioning, the picking the right niche, the setting up the right system, the creating the right culture. Those are things they've never been trained in. And frankly, I mean, show me a school on earth or show me another book even that links value with activity. I mean, until the time really as money came out, there was no book. And so this is all we had to spend. We didn't have to. We would spend two or three years with these owners creating the, the, the path for them to climb their own value ladders. So at the end, they were all at $5,000 an hour activities. So then they were generating lots of wealth. And so it turns out, by the way, this is the preview of coming attractions for this, for this talk. The higher you go on your ladder, the less hours you work a week. And so all of our owners, our mentorees, are only working a couple days a week at $5,000 an hour. 
but they were working on strategic stuff, the value-added stuff. It made all the difference to them. Right. I would like to throw in a, a, a quick little segue here, and then I'd like to ask you a couple questions about some of the things we hear on the market. Just little things that I do in my life I've learned uh, are just you know better uses of my time and money. So we want to talk about the time and money thing. Right. Uh, for instance, I don't wash my car. I never wash my car. I don't clean the inside of my car, even though I enjoy doing it. And uh, the reason has nothing to do with the fact that I live in an apartment complex and I can't bring a hose in. I have to take it to a car wash. Uh, But I take it to a place to have it professionally detailed every couple months. The reason for that is quite simply is I will – my time is much more valuable sitting in their in their waiting room, which has Wi-Fi, banging through right. today's emails while I'm letting somebody else wash my car, uh, because I could potentially make thousands of dollars just by you know maybe putting an email or two into a campaign that I'm working on for a client or or responding to something uh, versus the fifty dollars that I'm or the hundred dollars I'm going to pay them to go over my car. It's, it's, well, that's it's perfect. Yeah. yeah, that's the perfect example because you asked a question um, just, a, just a minute and a half ago of why aren't they outsourcing? It turns out that almost everything tactically can be outsourced. Right. Almost everything. And, 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 but, but what you can't outsource is, are the strategic things, picking the right business model, picking the right niche, picking the right people, you know, getting the right people on the bus. That stuff you've got to do. And what we found was the owners were so busy not creating value. They were so busy, you know, cleaning their cars, so to speak, in their business, that they didn't have any time or energy to do any strategic things. And so this is the classic case of failure by design. <laughs> they never had a chance to succeed in creating any value because they're so busy working on $30 an hour stuff. Yeah, I found myself in that situation about a month ago, Rob, when my business just exploded. And it was a very good explosion to have because it meant a lot of great new business and a lot of great new opportunities. And it was a lucrative explosion. But I also found myself in a situation where it grew so fast and we had to bring on new people to support the business and do it so quickly that I found myself for a period of time just stuck in a place where as much as I would love to get out of this tactical stuff, I really just have to spend time training people to do this, which means right. um, which means I'm going to give them the work to do. I'm going to explain the work to do. I'm going to have to catch them in their mistakes, help them to build the action habits. And how long does it take to build an action habit? Too long. Too long. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and the entrepreneurial world, uh, 21 to 30 days, which is the average, That's right. is way That's right. too long. But I also committed at the same time that this is a growing pain, and the sooner I, and the sooner I grow, the sooner the pain will be over. So I committed this. So for the next month, I'm going to go through this hell. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to work with my people to get them up to speed so I can just say, here's an email sequence, and they will know what to do with it. They'll know my style. They'll know my expectations. They'll know the quality. They'll know how to do the ad tracking. They'll know all of it. So I can just say, here's a Word document with emails in it. Do your thing. And it comes out right every time. Uh, And that's why the owners won't do it. What what the owners are, are they're the best in their business at doing these tactical things. Right. And it aggravates and frustrates them when they hire somebody who only does it half as well. And they just can't stand it. And so they'll just take it over rather than further train like you're doing. They'll just take over, take back. And, you know, after a while, you're working 80 hours a week on $20 an hour stuff. And it just, it, it, it is that we call a tactical hell. You do get caught in tactical hell. We all have been there. I mean, yeah. it's not like, you know, I've never been there. Of course I've been there. That's when I wasn't creating value. I was in tactical hell. 
Preci- precisely, and I and I and I found that the reason my business was not growing the way I wanted it to, where I kept proclaiming my best year ever, but it really all I was getting was a cost of living increase, was because I kept allowing myself to fall back into the tactical hell when outsourcing just got hard. Well, the fact is, is if you want to outsource your business and outsource your tactical work and have a team around you that truly supports you in a way that you need to support your business and support your clients and your customers, you're going to have to take that time to build processes, to build policies and procedures, to develop templates, to develop a way of doing things, and to have the patience to give people the chance to develop and maybe even teach you a thing or two because they may come and they may show you something that you didn't think of. Well, that's and, – and the insight that we learned on all of this, because all of that's 100% true, the insight was that none of – and, and this, most people don't believe this when I first say it, so I'll, I'll say it and then say it again. None of the under $250 an hour stuff, those activities, matter in terms of value creation. Now, they matter in terms of getting it out the door, whatever the product or service are. They matter in terms of making sure the clients aren't all mad all the time. But from a value creation standpoint, none of it matters. And right. owners who are engaged in that kind of stuff, more than a third of their time, uh, aren't going to create any value because that stuff doesn't matter. What matters is where you are going with it, where you're going, building the right system, you know, creating the right protocols and processes. That's sustainable. That's what matters, and that's all $500 an hour stuff and, and above. That's right. what matters. Right, because it's worth $500 an hour for me to spend the time creating it. Yeah. Uh, that gets me closer to my $5,000 an hour, and it, gives, and it also gives people an opportunity that working with me and working with my company, uh, there can be growth opportunities for them. They could, you know, I could become, right. as, I like to say, as I like to say to everybody that I engage to work with my company, because I deal with contractors and independent firms, is that I recognize that it would be silly of you to make me your only clients, because you have to look at your own you know, balance of eggs and back mm-hmm. and everything else. But I want to be your most fun client. I want to be your most lucrative client. So help me get there. But I also recognize right. I have to help them get there as well. Right. Yeah, I took a good hard look at some of the clients that have been with my company for 8 and 10 years. We have had customers who have been with us that long. And I looked at some of the, the reasons why those clients have been here that long. And there are a couple things that I pulled out. And I think, uh, you know, first of all, we are dealing with the type of entrepreneurs who understand the difference between the tactical and the strategic, who view themselves as $5,000 an hour earners. Mm-hmm. And they also um, know that uh, they want to be able to trust somebody. So if, you know, if I have a conversation with them and they say, you know, we say, let's do a Black Friday promotion. Uh, we'll just say, okay, well, let's do it on this product. And, you know, here's the price and here's the time frame, And that's all they need to tell me. I can write all the right. emails, I can design the campaign and do everything else. So they're doing $5,000 hour work in their business. And then when I focus on the strategy of making that happen, I'm doing $5,000 an hour work. And then I'm giving others the opportunity to do $500 an hour work on their way to 5000 Well, that's exactly it. And that was our moment of truth in the mentoring program. Well, what had happened is, in, in short order, we – learned how to mentor the owners in, in terms of going up their ladder and spending time on, on, on appropriate amount of time on value-added activities. Where we were falling down is not mentoring their, all their people because they've got to go up their own ladder. Everyone's got to create value in a company, not just the owners. Everyone's right. got to create value. The, out, the outside professionals have to create value for their firm. Every, all the stakeholders, let's call it, 
And unless you mentor these people in terms of not only expectation but how what needs to happen within this system and how they need to operate, um, you're gonna you're not gonna create value for the firm. And so once we started mentoring all the stakeholders, then some tremendous things happened. Everyone left the owner alone enough so the owner then could could work on the strategic uh, activities and really set up the game. Because you know business is a game. You got to set this this game up right. The game of business and marketing, absolutely, as we say here at Business Creators Radio Show. So could you just distinguish for us a little bit further, um, just so we're absolutely clear on our terms, uh, the difference between the corporate ladder and the value ladder? Yeah, corporate ladder is what has always been referred to as the ladder of success. So when we were uh, sort of coming up in society back when I, at least when I was a kid, you'd hear about climbing the ladder of success. And what they did say then but what they meant was you're going to climb the corporate ladder. You're going to go work for General Electric, and, and every rung on that corporate ladder would be a, a promotion, a job title with certain duties. And the uh-huh. corporate ladder is all defined by success. So if, if you're hired as some sort of manager and you do those duties properly and they tell you what those duties are, there's not much room for you to, to create those duties. you know. Right. And if you do those well, you get to go to the next rung. You get to climb that corporate ladder. Well, all, all of us, and especially in MBA school, are really being taught on how to climb the corporate ladder. But, you know, guess what? Half the world now is not on the corporate ladder. Right. Not just in the U.S., half the world. And so what's happened to the corporate ladder? Well, there's still people climbing the corporate ladder, of course. But what's happened is more and more of us each year own our own time and create our own ladders. So you wake up just like you do and I do. I wake up, you know, Monday morning. i got to fill in my time. How am I going to spend my time? What am I going to work on? You know, how much value am I going to create? I choose what I'm going to work on, what projects and how I engage them and all that. That I call value ladder. So the value ladder has its own runs, but it's all based on failure, not success like the right. ladder. Each run, because you know what? You were, you were born not knowing how to be successful in a private business, and I was born not knowing how to be successful. And the only way we learn is by trying. And, it's, and I, hate, I hate to say it, it's a trial and error process. You put a value proposition out there, something for a customer to grab onto, and, and that's why they're hiring you is because that, you know, how compelling is it to them? And if they don't bite for a certain amount of time, you say, uh-oh, I can't pay the rent. And so then you, you change. You, you failed in your first value proposition. You change up and you move around. And that's how we find the value ladder, by, change, by failing and then learning what works and then trying to do it at an ever more strategic level. Somebody told me a long time ago, they said this in a little bit of a different way than what you're saying, but it meant, I think, basically the same thing, is they were a supervisor. I think it was like a call center or a customer service department or something, and uh, they were getting some pushback or some argument or something from one of the people who uh, worked the phones. And this person I knew who's the supervisor of that sensor said to that other person, the reason I'm a manager and the reason why you work for me is because I've effed up a lot more than you have. Right, right. I, I, and, yeah. I, and, I, and I always thought there was a lot of truth to that. Now, here's something very interesting. One of our listeners here at Business Creators Radio Show who found out that you were going to be our guest was very excited about it and has already had some familiarity with studying some of the things you've done and time really is money. They asked this question because you hear Sir Richard Branson say this. He's quoted for saying this all the time, which is if you have a great opportunity in front of you, say yes to it and then figure out how to do it. What is your thought on that? 
Well, that's what I've been doing with these startups. What, I, what I've been doing is I'm now worldwide for a variety of reasons. I'm a worldwide magnet for opportunities. But when an opportunity knocks, you're not, you know, you may or may not even know what door just knocked, but because, you know, there's all kinds of doors around you and windows and stuff. But I always open it and then I figure out, I figure out how to organize, what's the right business model, like, can, I, can I turn it into a whole bunch of niches, what kind of resourcing do I need to do on it, uh, and I figure it out as I go. And that's why my startups are a little different than most people. I call them instant companies. So the old traditional way of doing a startup is like a lemonade stand. You know, you, you, you mix up some lemonade, you put a sign out, and you're out on your street corner hoping somebody walks by. Well, that will break you. So the old traditional model of marketing, the, the push market like that will break you. What I do is I answer the door at that opportunity, figure out all these things with niches and business models, all these $5,000-an-hour activities, and get my partners as my customers, and I launch. So we launch. So the unicorn I was talking about, we went from zero revenues to, you know, a multi-billion dollar valuation in one day. <laughs> one, one day. day. I mean, now, it, it took a couple years to set that game up. That's the thing about these, when you do these instant companies like this, and I'm not the only one on earth doing these, what will happen is it may take a year or two to set it up, but when you turn the lights on, so to speak, uh, you're, you could be a multi, you know, $100 million company plus the next day because it's all in the bag. You got all your contracts already assigned, you got, you know, all the resources, most of it's an outsourced business model anyway. That's how I do startups. So it's a lot, it's a little different than the traditional, obviously. Right. I, and, and you know, I, and I like that because what I see happen with the startup model, you know, and I know some things may be required if you get involved with the angel investors and you're doing right. rounds of right. financing and things like that. Because, and, you know, some of my experience consulting on startups and even being involved with a couple of them is that it's not always the same as what many of our listeners think of as the how you start an internet business, which is you put up a landing page, you collect opt-ins, and you sell yeah. something. I mean, because yeah, any, I mean, anybody right. who's listening, can start a new business tomorrow. Put up a landing page, host right. a webinar, get people to sign up for it, make an offer, and sell one. Now you have a right. business. Right. right. So, but when I see it happen with startups sometimes, and I've seen, and there are startups I'm aware of that have been in the pre-pre-planning stage for three years. The yeah. thing is, they have a lot of meetings where they talk about the same damn stuff right. over right. Over and over again. Um, I now you've already gathered that uh, you know my idea of a horror movie is a movie about a corporate meeting. I think you've already figured that one. Out. But um, but and and, and uh, but I want to you know set all that aside. Forget me. Forget me. Let's let's focus on you for this. Um, in terms of how we use our meetings and our collaborative time. Is that a $5 activity, a $500 activity, a $5,000 activity? And how do we make it more valuable or decide whether or not we need it? Yeah, I mean, it's a th everything I do now is worldwide. It's, it's cross-border. Almost everything I do is cross-border. I do a lot in China. I do a lot in Asia. And so, you know, it's everything for us is Skype, and it's, 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 it's short meetings. It's to the point there's some major decision that needs to be made. Uh, none of us have time to be sitting around talking about stuff. I mean, unless it's um, a decision point, I'll have a meeting if it's a decision point, yes or right. no. You know, so much in business is left, left fork or right fork. Which way are you going to go with this? And right. that, then I think you have to have a meeting. You know, it's strange. Even in the businesses I've owned, dozens of them, you know how often I physically go to any of these businesses? 
I'm going never. to imagine never. I'm going to imagine never minus. I was, never. What I was getting ready to never. say. I mean, every once in a while, every few years, I may have to go to drop something off, a check or something. Well, heaven forbid I have to do that. Everyone's going to catch hell if I have to do that. But, but for the most part, I never, because that's all practical stuff. I mean, which, which lawn you know, guy are you going to hire? Which toilet paper are you going to buy? I don't want to hear any of that crap. What, but I can have a 30-minute conversation on the phone with my manager and say, all right, what niche are we going to pick the next six months? How are we going to resource it? How are we going to model it? Uh, what do you need? Uh, what can I do to help? That that's a thirty-minute conversation I can have. I got time right. for that. <laughs> so, hey, hey, but I don't have time to hear about the Johnny H. Sally stuff. I I just can't go there. Right, right, precisely. And you know, and I personally don't have time to sit in conference rooms and things like that. Now, for all of our major clients here at my business. Um, when they have an open project with us where they've given us money and we're actually working on something right now, I require them to meet with me weekly. And right, uh, so right. it's going to be the same time and the same day. And the reason we do those meetings is because if there's anything that we want to hash out strategically or we want to talk through the campaign or they have questions of me or I have questions of them, we know that that's a forum for that to do that. Or if one of us has been right. emailing the other something like three times and still doesn't feel like they're getting an answer, now you got them on right. the phone. Let's get the answer. So things aren't dragging out, uh, right. but these but these uh, but these means can also be five minutes where it's like okay here's what I'm doing and here's what you're doing okay cool we'll see you next week. But the idea That's is right. it just keeps the momentum going. Uh, there's no agenda, and a lot of times the meetings don't even have any of that. You know how are you business like okay yep Adam yep, Rob okay cool so here's what I got going what do you got going uh, okay cool right uh, any questions oh yeah okay well there you go and we're done we move on. Right. I think that right. I think that I think that's absolutely fantastic. But you know, to to your point, uh, you know, I was involved about five years ago on a project where it was a bunch of different companies coming together to work on a launch, and we were brought in to do uh, some of the copywriting work. And so I attended the first virtual team meeting, and everybody went around, and we introduced ourselves, and we sang "Kumbaya" and everything else. So I thought, okay. Right. I'll tolerate one of these because they're paying the bills and that's what they mm-hmm. want to do. So then we come to the next meeting and it's the same damn thing again. And uh, I went to my client after that and I said, look, I really don't have time for this. Uh, just tell me what you need. Uh, or if anybody needs anything from me, I mean, I know what right. my marching orders are. I know where my contribution is. I have questions of them. I'll ask. They have questions of me. They'll ask. But I do not really have time for this uh, this whole singing kumbaya thing. And I, you know, got right. the whole thing about well, I'm just trying to build a team and help people to get to know each other. And I say, yeah, I look forward to getting to know everybody as we do work together. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I and it just turns out the sort of projects I'm involved in have been for many years. There's not much of a physical presence for me needed, and and it couldn't be anyways because right. I mean, it's a company in Shanghai is is one customer, and a company in Hong Kong is another, and, and the technology that we're converting into something cool is is in Illinois, and that's an exa- that's an example I'm working on right now. And it just, I mean, the parties will never ever have a physical meeting. Right. Now we talk and we we have various communication, but those parties that I just mentioned, this is a billion dollar deal. We'll never have a physical meeting all at the same time, same place, because just it's everything's so fast now. We just don't have time for that. Yeah. 
I, I think that's a great evolution. Now, as we, uh, you know, as we move along here, we have about 15 minutes left, so I know we're coming towards the end. And what I'd like to do is, you know, we mentioned Sir Richard Branson a few moments ago about his philosophy of say yes and then figure it out, which yeah. I know there are different right. things on. And a lot of people take your approach, which is, yeah, say yes, and then use the skills and the, and the knowledge you have of how to do $5,000 hour work and climb that ladder and make it happen. Be strategic. Build a team. Do all that. And there are others who say, well, why would you throw yourself into the fire and get burned? So that's a debate right. another day. But I would right. like to I'd like to quote Sir Richard one more time. And I'd like to say, screw it. Let's do it. To hell with right. this $5,000 an hour crap. I want $5 million an hour. Right. Is there anybody right. doing that, and how do we get there? Yeah, all the, uh, it turns out all the billionaires. I had a, a, another aha moment about 18 months ago. So I'm sitting there with my $10 million an hour partner, and he's, a, he's a, also the 15th richest person on earth. You know, when, you, when you've been at that rate that long, you know, it adds up. You know, it adds up to a big pile. That's yeah. up to $40 billion in this case. Well, anyways, he knows all the other billionaires, and uh, he knew Steve Jobs real well. He knows Warren Buffett. He knows them all. Because right. when you're at the top, the apex value creator, you tend to know all the other people because they're the only ones you can talk to. No one else understands what you're talking about at 10 minutes. And it turns out all those people went to their own hourly rate, independent of each other, uh, in their careers. Every one of them he said he's met, and he did the same about 10 years ago. He said, you know, my time is so valuable. i got to somehow filter out all the noise and only work on those things where I can add extreme value. Uh, he said at that time it was $5 million an hour 10 years ago, and then he quickly went to 10. And uh, he said then it stopped. All the noise stopped, and he was allowed to work on the things where he added value. And he said, every, including Steve Jobs, he said every single billionaire he's ever talked to went to that system independent, not that they read about it. It was their secret weapon. And he said I was the first guy to ever write about it because – They've been doing this in the billion dollar end of things forever, and we just now are starting to figure this out at the bottom of it. You know, just work on stuff that you can add a lot of value. Forget the rest of it. Outsource it, crowdsource it. You know, just forget about it because none of it matters anyway. So, but that, that's so it works all the way up to those guys. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, cause we can think about all these guys, like, you know, Steve Jobs, you know, Warren Buffett. We could even think of Donald Trump these days uh, with everything he's yeah. got going on. Uh, right. How much right. time does he have to work on his business these days? Probably not yeah. a heck of yeah, a lot. Right. So when he right. goes into his office uh, up there in the Trump Tower and he's running his many different businesses, he doesn't have a whole lot of time to focus on that. So you can probably imagine his time sitting at his desk when he's not doing political clips is probably right. – worth about $20 million an hour right now. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and, and it's really amazing. When you start, you know, when you get to $5 million an hour, you're, you're a freak of nature. You're sort of a self-selected uh, DNA, economic DNA person. But at $50,000 an hour, kind of where I'm in that range, it's, you're changing industries. So the only thing I'm allowed to do, work on, is that involves either the creation of a new industry or a a gigantic modification of a current industry. And I just go from industry to industry, changing the model. I've done this about a half dozen industries now. And so that's, that's a whole different deal, too. $5,000 an hour is where everyone can get to. And that's just working on your, your company culture, picking the right niches, and picking the right mob, business models to support those niches. Those are all $5,000 an hour activities. And I'm telling you, what we proved is every single business owner can get to that level. It may take a few years, but they can get there. 
Well, and as I like to say, if you're at point A and you need to get to point B, if you want to get closer to point B today, take a step in that direction. Right, that's right. Yeah. Or in this case, climb, climb, you know, climb up to that rung because the the rungs are all very accessible. What I do in the in the time really is money book is I show you. Okay, here's all the rungs. Here's the activities that correlate to each rung. Uh, you decide how you're going to spend your time. No one is telling us how we're going to spend our time. We decide. Right. So why don't you just decide to spend your time on things that are ten times more valuable? Why not? Yeah. Just let me give that a shot for a while. Let's see what happens. Yeah, like, yeah, like uh, when I see when I see folks, um, especially my competitors or my cooperators, you know, people who you know your cooperative competition, and I see them go on Facebook and they're posting all kinds of stuff yeah. where right. you know they may support one political candidate, so they spend all their time attacking other candidates. I'm thinking, if I don't participate in this. I'm already climbing the ladder faster than they are because right. while they're worried right. about slinging mud downward, uh, <laughs> right. as somebody who never did anything to them, I mean, I can be, yeah, I know. be adding a couple hundred dollars an hour to my hourly worth. Right. I agree. Now I agree. We all choose how we're going to spend our time. And it just amazes me how most people spend their time. It, it, they don't have to worry about ever being wealthy because it's never going to add up. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally uh, with, with that. So uh, now, that's one thing that I wanted to mention. Another is, if we could just ask you, Rob, while we still have you here for the next few minutes, uh, what can listeners do to climb their value ladders? Because I'm ready to start climbing right now. In fact, I can't wait to get you the heck off the phone so I can put up the ladder and get up a couple rungs. I'm ready to go. Well, it, it, it sort of depends. Well, it very much depends on where their starting point is. Most most people are going to be the under $100 an hour stuff. Right. And, and, and so the next big climb is the $500 an hour activity. And that's where you're the monkey in the middle as a business owner. You, you've got to create and manage value propositions to all your stakeholders. All the stuff we were talking about about a half an hour ago where not just your employees but your professionals to your, your vendors, you've got to make sure that everyone's adding value and you've got to create a system. So everyone knows if they're adding value. That's the $500 an hour stuff. And in the book, I spent a, a few chapters on, all right, here's what those activities look like. Here's how much time you, you, know, you can allocate to yourself each week spending time. And then gradually, as you get a handle on those $500 an hour activities, that, that might take nine months. Uh, then you start moving up to the $5,000 an hour activities where you're really starting then to, to focus on where your firm's going. Where's your, you know, your special value add in your firm? What's the special sauce in your firm? and then start building niches around that. I, I speak 75, 80 times a year and have for 10 years, believe it or not. And I start out most of my talks, my name is Rob, and I'm a nicheaholic because everything I do is niche-oriented. Because uh -huh. my belief system is that even medium-sized companies now, even medium-sized global companies are uh, an amalgamation of niches. So they're a series of interrelated niches. So what I do in these businesses I own is I just pick the next fight. I call it the next fight, the next niche. And we go out and figure it out. And you know what we learn is you never get it right. What, what will happen is it will take us eight or ten iterations of failure to, to find out who's going to eat the dog chow in that next product or service that we're offering out there in that niche. Everyone gives up after the third round. That's what we've learned. Human nature says if it doesn't work within three tries, it's not going to work. And what we've learned is if you can hang in there like the Angry Birds people did, and they had over 30 iterations of failure before they got there, secret sauce, Angry Birds, that computer program, right? If you can hang in there for six, eight, ten iterations, fail fast, fail cheap, 
We don't put much money or time into these iterative failures, but we do fail because nobody shows up to the party. Nobody's eating whatever it is we're offering. Uh, then we just change it to two degrees left, two degrees right, a little bit over here, maybe a different brand. And about the eighth or tenth iteration, somebody's eating the dog chow, and then we scale from there. That's the secret. Those are $5,000 an hour hours, and that's where value is created. Yeah. Well, we find with some of our product launches that we manage here, some of them are smashing successes. Some of them are slow burn. Some of them take a bit of yeah. work to get up. But I can tell you that there's one thing that I tell all the clients is, is and I, I will say this to them at the outset of the project, I'll say there's really nothing here that I'm going to find all that exciting or interesting till the day we open the doors and invite one of your customers to buy. Because up it. until right. then, we're following a process we've done 100 times. And what right. we need to do is work through that process, gauge it, measure it, track it, tweak it. But I'm not really all that interested, and I'm actually, I don't want to come out and say bored, but it doesn't yeah. really wake me up in the morning till the moment we open the doors and we see what really happens. Right. That's right. when it gets interesting. If people come flooding in, we know what fires the stoke. If we That's see right. them trickle in, we know we got to find a way to open up that faucet more. If nobody buys then we have something to work on, something to do, problems to solve, opportunities to find. Right. And that really gets things moving. So uh, another thing I want to point out here, and you've said this a few times, and as we come to the end, I really want our listeners to hear this, is you've said this can take time. Mm-hmm. It can take nine months. It can take a year. There can be some trial and error. There can be some failure. There can be some pain, but the relief and the pleasure that comes at the end of that is just so great. The idea of having a $5,000 hour, if I'm even saying that right, because I'm so excited to expect that if you're used to making $5,000 a month total right now, you could literally scale back your work week to work in an hour a week and multiply your income by a factor of four. But you got to get there, and what I, and and this kind of goes contrary to what we see in a lot of entrepreneurial teaching. This is one of the reasons I was so excited to get you here and have you explain this to us. Is that we're taught so often by coaches and by mentoring programs is this: what you got to do is you got to hire a VA today, and you got to right. get them doing all that stuff. Right. But they leave out the part where you have to work work on climbing the ladder working your way up that value ladder, failing, struggling, going through the process of helping them become the kind of supporter, assistant, strategist, or whatever it is you need on your team to move your business out of where it's just you. Uh, I've been asked five times this week whether you know I am my own business or whether my business is leveraged. And as of you know, when we're doing this interview, it's kind of in the middle. I have right. a lot of stuff like, if I decide I want to take a week off, I could take a week off and my business will continue to make money. Things will still get done. However, I have to plan it out before I go. So, right. there's some, because there's some stuff that can only happen with my brain. Now, that means I'm actually three-fourths of the way there because that's right. I just need to build it up to where I can get all that done in a couple hours. And that's what I'm working towards. Uh, we want to use we want to use the Donald Trump model one more time. I can't remember if it was him or Bill Zanker in that book they wrote together, Think Big and Kick Ass. But one of them said mm-hmm. that instead of viewing yourself as a instead of viewing yourself as the manager of accounting, view yourself as the manager of accounting on your way to becoming the vice president of finance 
or right. if you view yourself as a um, if you view yourself as a as a self-published author, view yourself as a self-published author on your way to becoming the head of of a literary empire. So you think about right. what you are now, what you're on your way to, and that's how you climb the ladder. That's exactly right. And you set up that next rung by planning and little bit little small bets. I placed a million small bets a year. That's why I, I have never been bankrupt, even though obviously, you know, I got here through failure, but I've never been bankrupt because a lot of those small bets don't pay off, but they don't break me either. And right. so when I'm looking at something, how do I get to the top of the ladder by placing a thousand small bets and a little bit of time activity and a little bit of resource here and then work my way up the ladder? And it, I'll tell you right now, it works. <laughs> it works. Yes. Yes. And, and it's and just the idea that you keep working on climbing the ladder. Well, uh, right. what, I'd like, what I'd like to say right now is, um, you know, uh, I'd like to, first of all, uh, you know, express my gratitude to Jen and Jesse Slee's dad, Rob, for uh, spending an hour with us here today. Thank you so much. It's been an honor and an education. And what I'd like to do is just turn over the floor to you for one minute. I imagine we have some people listening, uh, whether they're listening live or they're on the iTunes replay, that are on the edge of their seat right now, just dying to learn more. So how can they engage with you and how can they take it to the next level with you? Yeah, the, the way to engage with me, because I, I don't have much of a physical presence anymore. Even most of my talks are, are virtual talks. Cause right. I, you know, at, at $50,000 an hour, I'm sort of becoming the, the guy, well, I am the guy behind the curtain now. But through through books, I, I, I write a blog that a million people read a week worldwide on, on LinkedIn called Midas Nation Group. Uh, and it's a real active blog. So people, it's all my ideas. I think about all the next round ideas out loud on that blog. Uh, that's good. The, uh, and, and what will happen, what, the real message I want to leave people with is most people don't get what we're talking about right now. They're just happy in their, their whatever their hourly rate is, and they're not concerned about creating value, and it's the vast majority of people. Do not surround yourself with those people as you're doing your ladder climb because all they'll ever say to you is, well, that'll never work. That'll never work. And what, Of course what they're saying is they can't make it work. They're not going to make it work. They're not going to climb their own ladders. They probably never did start climbing a ladder. If right. you surround yourself with people like that, you are going to be defeated because they're the naysayers. And, you know, the naysayers have a way of grabbing on your, your pants bottoms and always pulling you back. Yes. So what I, my best recommendation is, people, is, hey, surround yourself with can-do people that, hey, aren't afraid to get scuffed up in the fight because it's a big street fight when you're, when you're doing your own thing and filling in your own time and selling, you know, your own time. And, just surround yourself with those people that, you know what, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it Branson has it right. The opportunities show up, you'll figure it out. And don't be afraid to fail because I guarantee you, you're going to fail. But just do it in small bets and everything will work out. Yeah, one thing I do just to protect that energy is I don't engage in small talk with people about my business unless they themselves right. are at my level or above. And the reason, and, 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 and if I find myself like, let's say I'm at a family gathering with a bunch of friends and they start asking me 20 questions that they wouldn't understand the answers to if I explained anyway, what I'll right. say is, is this something where you're just asking me randomly or are you actually serious about this? Right. Because if you're right. really serious about this, let's get on the calendar for next week and let's do a call separately and let's talk about this in detail. Otherwise, right. I just want to hang out. I, I, I do business all the time. I just want to space out here right now. And that's how I get out of that conversation. And that, and right. that's really good for my sanity. Right. Yeah. And that's why the billionaires are so isolated. Because yeah. the billionaires don't have anybody at their level, and they seek other billionaires just so they know that there's somebody else dealing with these intergalactic issues like themselves. And it's a, 
very lonely, isolated existence from when talking to my partner. Um, he has trouble with that. Right. Yeah, and and that, and, that, and that that's not about being elitist or being better than everybody right. else or anything like that. Right. It's simply a matter of guarding your own space. And my advice to anybody right. who says, "Well, well, who the hell is Adam Homie or Rob Slee to say that they're too good for me?" We're not too good for you. Right. And Warren Buffett's not too good for you. So focus on where you are now and where you're on your way to being, and start climbing that ladder. Yeah, it's fantastic. That's fantastic advice. And if people only listen to half of what we said in this hour, they're gonna they're gonna benefit fifty x. Exactly. <laughs> it's there for them. Plenty of opportunity out there. All you gotta do is is get to, get out there after it. Yep, yep. And we're at the top of the hour here. So Rob Slee, again, thank you very much. It's been an honor and an education. No, thank you, Adam. I've really enjoyed the hour. It's been worth fifty thousand dollars. Well, so thank you time, very much. It's been worth it. Absolutely. So for everybody listening, this is Adam Homie, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please tune in to our previous and upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and on iTunes, where we help you win at the game of business.